It is great to see you guys. Thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate you being here. I want to say hello to all of our campuses. Let's also give it up for our God Behind Bars guys real quick. We love you guys. So thankful for you. What a great Mother's Day we had. Thanks so much for bringing mom out last weekend. We had a great turnout. And just thank you for, for uh, looking out for your whole family, bringing them to church with you. And so do me a favor, grab some, some notes, grab something to write with. I'm excited about this message today. We're continuing. This is the last portion of our Be Worth Following message series. I was actually going to do it a little shorter than this, but there was just so much content. I just felt like we needed to slow it down and focus on some things. And actually, this is my favorite message of, that ser- of the series. It's on leadership. And so if you're wanting to become a great leader, I believe this is a series for you. If you've not been keeping up, maybe you've been out of town, I want to encourage you to get the app. You can download that from the app store and catch up. So please do that. Hey, let's say our mission statement together. What are we here to do as a church? We're to take as many people to heaven as we can before we die, period. That's what we're all about here at Church Unlimited. Again, thanks for coming out. Thanks for being a part of our services today. Now, have you noticed that like when it comes to other people taking like a long time, you know, like what we'll say like uh, you're you know, you're, 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 you're slow, you're not, you're not on top of things. But we think, when we take a long time, what do we say? We say, oh, we're thorough, right? Or when someone, right? Or when someone doesn't do something, we say, like, what? You're lazy. When we don't do something, we say, we're busy. Isn't that funny how we do that? You ever notice that? If someone else succeeds, we say, they're, they're lucky. If we succeed, we say, man, I deserve that. You know what I'm saying? How many of you guys know what I'm talking about? Isn't it funny how we always like equate with others like a, a, a negative connotation like, well, you know, but with us, we're like, no, no, man, I'm the real deal. What are you talking about, right? And so we have a tendency to do that, to always give ourselves an excuse and, and never give anyone else an excuse. Well, this is a no excuse message. And so I'm just gonna challenge you with it right now. Sometimes I preach today is a teach because what I wanna do is I wanna unpack something that I believe is the secret sauce of Joseph's success. In fact, really, I could even go further and say, this is the secret sauce of anyone you know who's successful. This is their secret sauce. So we're going to look at something Joseph teaches us that he does that is the game-changing move of his life, and then he just repeats it in every scenario he gets in. And so this is why he could succeed in Potiphar's house. This is why he could succeed even after he was falsely falsely accused of rape and he ends up in prison. He could succeed in prison. And then, of course, he could succeed also in running all of Egypt. And so this guy had a secret sauce. Wouldn't it be great to know that so we could apply that in our lives? So let's learn that today. Yeah, I'm excited about this. And so I want to unpack this today, but I'm going to challenge you. When you hear it, you may go, oh, because it's a tough one. But if you'll hear it and listen with your spirit and say, okay, God, how can I apply this to my life? I believe it can really help us. And so pull out your notes and uh, I want to give you something to write down. Also open your Bibles or your Bible app to Genesis chapter 41. This is what, let me just catch us up with Joseph. We've been talking about him. So Joseph rose to the ranks uh, in, a, in a foreign nation. He didn't know the language. He didn't know anyone there. He ended up there because he got betrayed by his own family. His brothers hated him. And so rather than kill him, which was an option in their mind, they instead sold him into slavery. He ended up in Egypt in Potiphar's home. Potiphar bought him. Okay, and so he was, he was literally trafficked. Now he's bought by Potiphar. He has to uh, work for him. He begins to organize his house so well, Potiphar puts him eventually over his whole household. Then he says, you're doing so well with my household. Can you help turn my businesses around? And so he does that. So now Potiphar is very profitable because of Joseph. The problem was, is that Potiphar had a wife who was half crazy that, that was in love with him. And so she was all over him, chasing him down. Eventually she couldn't have him because he refused her. And so she uh, then turned on him and accused him of rape. So now he's a foreigner in a foreign land, hardly knows the language, doesn't look like anyone, and then he's going up against the he said, she said with someone who's married to someone very well-known and powerful. How do you think that turned out? So now he ends up in jail, but guess what he does in jail? Same thing. He cleans the whole place up, organizes it. Pretty soon they put him in charge, in charge of the entire jail. 
Uh, a couple guys come in there that need something. They need him to interpret a dream. He does interpret both their dreams correctly. One of those guys ends up working next to the king, and he tells him before he goes, hey, make sure you let the king know that if he needs anything, I'm here. You know, just whatever he needs, I, I can help out. A couple years later, the king, after this guy had forgot about him, a couple years later, the king has a dream he needs interpreted. He has no idea what it means. He asks all his magicians and his advisors what it means. They don't know. So then the guy remembers standing next to the king, hey, wait a minute, there was a guy that interpreted my dream correctly. He's in your dungeon right now. You should bring him up. So Joseph gets brought up. And so remember we talked about two weeks ago before, before Mother's Day about what, did he did that, what he did that most of us don't do is that when, when you have an opportunity, he brought a solution to it because opportunities come in the form of problems. And so and he said, let me interpret your dream. You think your problem is you don't know what your dream means, but your real problem is that your dream means that you're going to have seven years of feast and then seven years of famine that's so bad you'll forget about the seven years of good. So you need to do something about that. And so he presented an opportunity and said, hey, I want to tell you what I think I would do. Uh, Pharaoh, if I were you, is I would uh, appoint someone who can run Egypt for you, set aside 20% of the gross national product of your country. And that way, seven years, seven years from now, you have a lot that you can provide the world when they're in need and they're hungry. So he, he presents, presents this great plan. King says, you're amazing. You're exactly what I've been looking for. Forget all these other bozos. I'm putting you in charge. So he says, come over here, puts his signet ring on his finger and says, you're the man now, right? And then Joseph does what he's always done. So what has he always done that helped him go from total obscurity to being the man with the corner office? What did he do? He does the same thing, by the way, that another guy does in the Bible, another young man who rose to the ranks of a foreign nation, a guy named Daniel. And so you can parallel their lives, actually. I, won't, I don't have time to do that today, but I will just tell you, they both have the same secret sauce, as does Steve Jobs, back in the day, Bill Gates, right, as does Warren Buffett, as does, uh, back in the day, Troy Aikman, as does Tom Brady. I could go on and on. It's the same secret sauce that everyone successful has. So what is it? Let's check it out right now. You guys interested? Yes. Here we go. Check it out. The very first thing that Joseph does when he leaves the king's presence, so now he's got a ring on his finger, he's got a nice robe, I mean, he's like wearing the Egyptian colors now, and they're like, you're the man, you're in charge. So he says, thank you so much, I won't disappoint you, sir, thank you. And as he walks off, he's like, I need a driver right now, let's go. And they're like, what are we gonna do? He says, I wanna see all of Egypt. So the very first thing he does, would you write this down? Number one, you gotta assess where you are. You gotta assess where you are and know what you wanna accomplish. How can you know where you want to go if you don't know where you are. The very first thing your GPS does on your phone when you put in, I want to go to the mall. I want to go to this place. I want to go to, you know, Louisville, Kentucky. I want to go wherever you want to go. The first thing the map's going to do is say, where are you now? So you have to assess where you are now to where you want to go. And honestly, most of us are not honest with ourselves. We don't tell the truth on ourselves where we really are. And so you can't really know how to lose 20 pounds until you get on the scale to see what you weigh now, right? We don't like to do that, but you have to know where you are to know where you're trying to go, what changes that you need to make. So he assesses all of Egypt. It says, and when Joseph left Pharaoh's presence, this is in Genesis 41, he inspected the entire land of Egypt. The very first thing he did, he says, okay, what do we got? Because I'm now in charge of all Egypt, I need to know all of Egypt. Like, what are the boundaries of this whole nation? I need to go from side to side, I need to go all over the place. You know, I need to cover the whole place. Let's go. Show me the good neighborhood. Show me the bad neighborhood. Show me where the factories are. Show me where the horses are. Show me where the stables are. I need to see everything. I need to know where we're at. So you have to be able to do a total assessment. Then he does something, and now I'm about to give you some of the secret sauce. Here it is. Genesis 41, it says this. It says, as predicted for seven years, the land produced bumper crops. During these years, Joseph gathered all the crops grown in Egypt and stored the grain from the surrounding fields in the cities. He piled up huge amounts of grain like sand on the seashore. Finally, he stopped keeping records because there was too much to measure. 
How many of you guys want to have that problem in your life? You know, I was going to count my money, but it just takes too long. <laughs> it just takes so long. I mean, just so many reports, you know? I mean, here at Church Unlimited, we just quit counting. We have so many people filling every chair. I mean, why even count anymore? Can you imagine having that problem? I'd love to have that problem, by the way. Wouldn't that be great? How many of you guys want that problem? You're like, I, I like that. that. That'd be amazing, right? I was going to check my kids' grades again, but all it is is always A's. Why even look? Can you imagine this? I mean, this is a wonderful problem. Like, wow, like it's just immeasurably good. There's so much grain that they've stored up that they just quit counting. They're like, well, we used to count it by the barrel, then we counted it by, you know, the ton, and now we count it by the acre. Well, there's 60 acres, it's all covered in grain, stored up in these giant, you know, grain, I mean, you know, grain things, the whole grain, whatever you call those things, right? Grain storage, thank you. And so, I'm a professional speaker, keep that in mind. So, so they had all this grain stored up, they finally quit counting. Let me tell you something, it says here that they finally quit keeping records. This is important though. It, basically, this teaches us that if you'll measure now, you don't have to measure later. You're going to measure sometime in your life. If you start measuring what you do with money now, there'll be a day you don't have to measure what you're doing with your money. You just go to the mall and you're like, get what you want. Vacation, where do you want to go? Wouldn't that be kind of nice? You didn't have to worry about the money side. So in other words, if you measure your money on the front end, then one day you don't have to measure your money in the back end. Or if you don't measure your money in the front end, one day when you're older and retiring, you'll be always measuring how much do I have left? How much can I have this week? How much can I? You're going to measure sometime in your life. Which one would you rather have? You can either measure on the front end or have to measure on the back end. And if you don't learn to measure, it will be measured for you. And someone will tell you, no, this is all you have now. Live on that. How much, when you hear that, do you make, make you want to go, okay, I want to go measure. Because <laughs> I want to make sure that I have enough to take care of myself. I don't want my kids to have to take care of me. I want to make sure I have enough, right? I want to measure now so that I don't have to measure later. And so there's just one little principle, but let me show you what he does next. It's, that's just, it's life-changing, guys, I'm telling you. Number two, would you write this down? Dreams die without the faithful execution of a system. Dreams die without the faithful execution of a system. That's why I titled this message, Leadership Execution. You have to execute a plan if you're going to be a leader. You can get the corner office, but what are you going to do once you get it? Man, I want to be the president of the company. Congratulations, you're the president. Now what? Oh, um, uh, everybody go be busy. What? Go do what you do. So you don't even know the parameters of Egypt. You have no idea what we even create here. You don't even know what, our, what the product that we sell is, that we, what we make. Like, what's Egypt known for? Is it oil? Is it grain? What do they make? What are they doing, right? So you need to learn all this stuff. And then once you get in position, you need to increase what they already have, right? And so that's what he has to do. So I want to talk about systems today. And this may surprise you, but everyone who succeeds at something has a system. In fact, let me tell you right now, your goals are worthless, without a system behind them. You don't achieve your goals because you set a goal. You achieve your goal because you figure out what kind of system do you need to match the goal to accomplish it. Everyone who succeeds has a system. So I just want to break that down. And you may think, well, that sounds so complicated and so big. You know what, I remember going to college. When I went off to college, I played, I had fun, I ran around with my friends, I was chasing girls, that's all I cared about. And so when I occasionally went to class, occasionally studied, and guess what, my grades reflected it. I remember the first semester, I almost failed out. I had to call home to my, my mom and dad once I realized, you know, everyone knows this about college, if you, if you goof off like I did, that you get to that point where you're past the point of overturn, like, no, if I get straight 100s, I can't pull this off. You know what I mean? And that's what happened to me. I got to, towards the end of the semester, and I was like, I, I just, it's not possible. I remember having to call my dad. I was so embarrassed. I was, I was upset. I knew I just completely wasted my mom and dad's money. I called home, and I was like, hey, hey, what's going on? And I was like, dad, I'm, I'm just going to be honest with you. I... I failed this semester. 
And he was like, what? I told him, you know, this, this is what happened. I just was honest. I just said, I just, I just played. I'm not considering trying to pretend like, oh, college is so hard. It's not actually. I just played. I mean, it is hard. It's still college, but I just played. I'm not going to sit here and make an excuse. So I told him what I did. So then I made my dad a promise. I said, Dad, I don't know what to do to fix this, but here's my plan. I promise you, Dad, if you'll let me go another semester, if you'll, if you'll, if you'll be willing to still sacrifice for me to go, I promise you I'll come back and I'll do better. And here's what I did. I went home. And I went to the local bookstore, and I got back to Houston for Christmas break. And I found a book called, and this is, gonna, this is hilarious, I realize, but it really worked. I just bought a book called How to Study. And I read it from cover to cover because I didn't really know. I had never had to really study in high school. I just kind of got through. And I realized I really have no idea. And so and what I really realized about three chapters in was that the book was really just how to create a system. It wasn't that complicated. So here's what my system became. I will not go home after school. So all my classes are in the morning, and then I have lunch. And normally after that, I would go hang out with my friends. Hey, what do you want to do? Let's go catch a movie. Let's go play ball. Let's go do whatever. And I was like, nope, I'm not doing that now. I'm going to go to lunch. After lunch, I'm going to go straight to the library. I will not go to my dorm. Because if I go to my dorm, I'm going to take a nap. Right? Or if I go to my dorm, I'm going to throw my books down and go play with my friends. Go hang out. Right? Go chase girls. Whatever. So I was like, I'm not going to do that. So I was like, I must, after, after I eat, I'm going to go straight to the library and I will not have a day I don't do that. That was my system. It was not complicated. Was, my system was one point. Go to class, and well, two. Go to class, and after class, go to the library. That's it. And I had to be there at least a couple hours, and after that, I'll go do whatever I want. My grades immediately went up. All because I just made myself a promise. I'm going to go to the library every day. I'm, I got a, a buddy I know that, I said, man, how are you in such great shape? He said, I have a system. I said, what's your system? He said, I go to the gym every day. I said, what do you do at the gym? He said, it doesn't matter. I said, what do you mean? He goes, it doesn't matter. He goes, if I just keep the promise that I will walk through the doors, then, it, it, then I'll do something, and I'll, get in, I'll, I'll stay in good shape. Do you see the simplicity of this, what I'm talking about? So systems don't have to be complicated. How many moms and dads go crazy with little kids that don't want to go to bed? You need a routine. A routine is just a series of, of habits that create a system to get your kids in bed on time. Otherwise, you're fighting them all the time. You already have a system. The, the problem is the system's not working. Your system is you argue, you fight, you yell, you scream, you kick the dog, and then finally someone goes to sleep. That's a system. It's just a very ineffective system, right? So we have to improve that, right? And so uh, you, you have to figure out, maybe you're, maybe you're broke. You're like, I'm tired of being broke. You need a savings system. You say, well, I already have a savings account. I know, but people have full savings account. They do something that most of us don't do. They go to their employer and they set something up or they set it up automatic draft from their bank account and, it, and every single month something goes out to their savings. And they, they almost forget it's even happening. But they set it up, they set up a savings system. And then you look up a couple years later and you go, wow, we have something. It's a system, it's not complicated. I know some guys that are in incredible shape and when I say good shape, I mean insane shape, like muscle and fitness cover magazine shape. And I'm thinking, how are you in that good shape? And I've noticed something. They all have the same thing in common. No, it's not steroids. What they all have in common <laughs> is they all order prepackaged meals. All of them. I just noticed that. I was like, huh. Because they said, oh, yeah, 80% of it's food. And I said, well, why do you, what? Or, or they cook them themselves. Like Sunday afternoon, they make all their meals for the week and then package them all up. And then they just go to their fridge and like Tuesday noon, boom, let me pull that meal, eat it. In other words, they made it where they don't have to think about every four hours, what do I eat? Am I going to eat healthier? Bad? The decision was made in advance. The meal's coming. Eat that. And guess what? They have a, a food system, and their body reflects it. I have a food system. My body reflects it. Not the same system. <laughs> Maybe anyone on my diet, eat three, three days good, eat five days bad. Anyone on my diet? Yeah, if you do that consistently, you get this. I'm just letting you know. That's what happens. 
It's true. And so, in fact, let me give you a couple of quotes here. James Clear says this, you don't rise to the level of your goals, you fall to the level of your systems. Isn't that true? Stephen Covey put it this way, your systems are perfectly designed to give you the results you are getting now. Isn't that true? Like, whatever results you're getting now, that's the system you're in. So if you don't like the results you're getting, change the system. And the system is just a routine. It's just a series of habits that lead to certain outcomes. That's all it really means. So don't be confused by that word. And so we just have to make a decision to do things differently. You show me the area you're failing in, and I'll show you an area you don't have a good system. If you change that area, change that system, you can succeed. And so success does not have to be hard. It just has to be routine. And if you'll do that, you can begin to succeed at something. So what are the four steps to a good system? Let's break them down. You guys ready? You guys ready for some secret sauce? Here we go. Here is the secret sauce. Here it is, check it out. He said this to Pharaoh and then he did it. I could show you all the scripture on this, but it'd take me you know, three more hours to do that. I'm not gonna do that to you. So let me just give you one little succinct area where he told Pharaoh, this is what I would do. Then he spent the next seven years doing this, actually 14 years doing it. He ended up feeding not only his nation, but he took care of Egypt, Israel, and a lot of other nations survived because of Joseph. And so it's pretty powerful what he did. And so interestingly enough, Joseph also means sustainer. His name means sustain. He sustained life. It's pretty cool when you think about that. So here's what he did, four steps. First one is this, number one, recruit the right people to your team. This is the who. It says, therefore, Pharaoh should find an intelligent and wise man and put him in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh should appoint supervisors over the land. Why supervisors? Because you don't get what you expect, you get what you inspect. That's a big deal. If you tell, you, tell your kids, go clean your room, do they do it? No. You say, go clean your room and I'll be back in an hour to check. Then they will at least attempt. Then you get there and you have to say, no, this isn't clean. Pull all the stuff out from under the bed now and now go put it up, right? But because you inspect it, it actually gets done. What gets done is when someone has accountability. And so no accountability, nothing's gonna get done. But you gotta recruit the right people to your team. This is the who. You may already have the right people on your team, but you don't have the right practices for them. So in other words, it may be the right person with the wrong, wrong attitude. And so you may say, well, I feel like the right people, we're just on the same page. Here's the, here's the thing I love to do, by the way. Uh, you can do this with an employee, like if you're an employer, an employee, or, or a coworker, or you can even do this in your marriage. You can do this with your kids. And so here's what I encourage you to do. Get two three-by-five cards. You give one to your, your spouse, and you hold one, and say, let's play a little game. Grab a pen. Don't show me, and I won't show you. I want you to write down what you think makes our marriage great. Like, what are the things that we do that make our marriage good. Write those things down. And I'll write things that I think make for a great marriage and then let's trade cards. You're gonna find out that on each other's cards, nothing is written the same. You're like, oh, I didn't know that's what you wanted. Why well, didn't know that's what you wanted. No wonder we're mad all the time. Because I am grading you as a spouse on my system, not yours. So you think that's what I want, I think this is what you want. And so we're missing each other. Do this with an employee, say, so here's what I think your job should be. This is what, if you do these things, I will think you're successful as a boss. I write those things down, here you go. My employee writes down what they think they're supposed to do secretly, and this is what I think you're looking for, and then you trade cards, and they look at me with, with like just stunned. They're like, are you kidding me? I had no idea. No wonder you're not happy with what I'm doing. You're grading me on something I know isn't even important to you. So oftentimes, we the right people, we the wrong agendas, we're not matched up, so you have to get in sync. Otherwise, you're gonna be mad at each other. And so you're like, I'm so mad at my spouse. She just doesn't wanna have fun. She doesn't wanna do anything. And she's thinking, I mean, I can't believe it. Once again, he messed up the living room. Why is he doing this? Because you think a good marriage and family means a clean house all the time, and your spouse could care less about that. Can you see the rub? So you gotta get together and get on the same page. And so once you do that, then you can create systems that everyone's in agreement with, and then something can actually happen. So recruit the right people to your team. This is the who. Number two. Set a goal with clear measurables. 
Measurables is a word. Set a goal with clear measurables. This is the what. He says, let them collect one-fifth of all the crops during the seven good years. We talked about measurement earlier. You have to be able to measure. If you can't measure it, you can't manage it. So set a goal with clear measurables. Maybe your goal is to lose 20 pounds. Instead of doing that, why don't you say, I'm going to eat no more than this many calories. That's more measurable. And so you can measure that and you can adjust that up and down depending upon the results you're getting, right? And so get some measurables out there. Uh, Number three, this is a big one. Determine the steps to take to accomplish the goal. This is the how. He says, have them gather all the food produced in the good years that are just ahead and bring it to Pharaoh's storehouses, store it away and guard it so there will be food in the cities. So this is interesting. So he says, okay, so here's what we're going to do. We need to let everyone know to save 20% of everything, okay? So whatever it is that you sell that, you know, here in the nation of Egypt, you need to save 20% of it, right? And so he says, let's save that and let's store it up. Okay, and this is important. At some point, they realized we don't have enough storage, so then they said we need to build some more storage. Then once they had all the storage, they said, now we have all the storage and all this grain, now we need some security to guard it. So you have a new set of problems introduced each phase along the way because you're getting better. In other words, what I'm trying to tell you is that your systems are going to get better over time. They're going to start off bad and sloppy and not working, but eventually you get them better and better and better. So I'm sure that his system at year seven of saving 20% was way better than year one. They had to improve it along the way. So don't be intimidated by someone who seems to have an incredible system, right? You meet someone and they're, you know, they have this incredible business and it's just all these logistics and they got it down so well. They didn't start off like that. They started off in someone's garage. But then they just kept improving it. So just don't be intimidated by this. You can do it too, just one step at a time. We get intimidated too easy. You know, we walk in our garage. I got to clean the whole garage. Oh, it's such a mess. I can't even walk in here. Just clean the, 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 the ability to open the door. Just start there. I want to be able to swing the door fully open, you know, and then go out three more feet. I want to clean this much. Just do a section at a time. If you'll chunk in small sizes down what you, the big goal is, everything is attainable. And so don't, don't be intimidated by something that seems large. Oh, I want to buy a house, but it's so intimidating. I just, there's no way I can do it. No, no, don't make it more complicated than it is, okay? The first thing you do is not go house shopping. That's the wrong place to start because that's going to frustrate you because you're going to fall in love with a house you can't afford, right? So the first thing you do instead is you go see a banker. And you say, I need to get a home loan. I need to get a pre-approval for what I, can, what I can borrow, right? Now, some of you are intimidated by this. Let me break this down. So guess what they're going to do? They're going to hand you a packet that's going to scare you senseless. Please fill this out. And you're going to be like, that's a book. You want me to fill out a book? Don't get intimidated. Fill out the first page. Then when you have that completed, you've answered all those questions, turn the page. Fill out the second page. Just break it down one page at a time. Say, and then you're going to turn it, and they're going to say, I'm going to probably need to call you. I'm still going to need some things. And they're going to do that. And whatever they call you and ask you for, go figure it out. Go find it and bring it back to them. And eventually you get a pre-approval. Then you get a real estate agent to help you find homes in that range in the area you want to live in. And then they help you discover it. You already had the pre-approval, so you know you can buy it. And then you make an offer, and you negotiate a little bit, and then you have a house. Steps. Think steps. Don't think the whole thing yet. It's too big. Think steps, and you can do it. Does that make sense? I have a friend that does this one step at a time, and now he owns over 100 houses and rents them out. And if I think about trying to buy 100 houses, I'll pass out. <laughs> but if I can think about one home, I can do one home. I can do that. And so it's one step at a time. So don't think of this huge thing. It's too intimidating. Think, think process. So determine the steps. And then number four, always trust the process, right? Always, this is important, tie your goals and plans to saving lives. This is important. Always tie your plans and your goals to saving lives. This is the why. If you don't have a big enough why, you will not stay strong with the what. Many of us have goals and dreams, and we've even started systems, and then we quit it. You ever started a diet and then quit it a weekend? 
You ever, you ever started a savings plan and then, oh, I need the money, and you went and yanked all the money back out of the savings account? Right? Why is that? The why is not big enough. Can I tell you the smallest why you have is you? That's the wrong why. People say, you just need to do what's right for you. That won't last, because what's right for me one moment is not right for me the next. I mean, it's right for me to be on a diet, and I see that pizza, I'm like, no, it's right for me to eat that pizza. That's what's right for me. <laughs> so the problem with that is it's not a large enough why, right? And so what I have to do is have a larger why, and so here's the biggest why you can possibly have. It's others. Don't get in shape for you. Get in shape for the fact that you want to see your grandkids. You know, don't, don't, don't save money so you can just have a retirement. That's not a big enough why. Obviously, because a lot of people don't do it. You want know, to larger why? I want to make a lot of money. Why? So I can help other people. Some of you say, oh, I don't agree with that. You know, I'm a Christian. I love the Lord. And all I need to do is just let God take care of me. That's incredibly selfish of you. Amen. Who said it's just about you? It is selfish and small thinking to only think about taking care of you. Start praying a bold, humble prayer that says, God, it's not just about me. Help me to make way more money than I'll ever need so I can help others. That's the way we gotta start thinking. And so number four, always tie your goals and plans to saving lives, to changing lives, to helping other people. If you have a big enough why, the what you can figure out. We have a big why. Our big why is what? To take as many people to heaven as we can before we die, period. That why is so big, we're building an $11 million facility in a town that we don't live in. That's a big why, right? Because we want to reach more people for Christ, and we've, we, we've covered almost every corner of this city, and so we're like, let's go find a new city. So we're reaching into San Antonio now, and we'll expand beyond San Antonio one day. We're just going to keep going and keep reaching people and keep, keep making a difference. And so if you'll do that, you can make a huge difference. I want to close with this. I want to wrap this up. Is this helping you guys, by the way? It's a system that you need, okay? Now, one last verse I want to give you, and I want to tell you one thing about Joseph that's kind of unique. Zechariah 4.10 says this, Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. When you get intimidated by it, trust the Lord and just start. I've learned I don't need a deadline when I'm going to complete something. I need a deadline for when I'm going to start something. Anyone else like that? When you're finally going to start it? You've been thinking about going back to college for four years now? You could have been done, Right? You've been thinking a long time about something and you still haven't done it. And so give yourself a deadline. So I'm just going to go ahead and start. Now is the time to do it. You know, we have a system here at Church Unlimited. It's called the U. You ever heard of the U? It's real simple. There's certain things that we know. If you'll do the U, check it out. We have it right behind us. If you'll attend church regularly, this may think, oh, come on, that's just going to church. It's not a big deal. No, it's a system. The Bible set up the system. To, to, it's called the Sabbath system. It means every seven days, one of those days, you're in God's house. And if you'll do that, you'll grow spiritually. Some of you are like, I just feel so distant from God. That's because you don't show up at his house very often. If I want to be close to my parents, I go by and see them at their house. You want to be close to God, go check them out at his house. Just go see him regularly, and you'll hear from God. Then what's the next step after that, right? You, you, you serve. If you want to get involved, if you, want, if you want to take that next step and get involved, you just sign up. It's not complicated. And find a place to serve. Because when you start serving, guess what? You're connecting with people. And when you do that, your relationships change, and your relationship changes, changes you. So you start serving. Then guess what? You get in the group. And if you're in a small group and connecting with them, then guess what? That's a life-changing moment where you can pour into them and they can pour into you. It's not some kind of weird therapy session. It's instead of just a great time just to encourage one another. The number one trait in all of our groups is laughter. People are having a good time. And so you just get together with other people that have a common interest in Christ. And so you, you simply begin to group. And then if you'll keep doing that, then guess what? You begin to tithe. And now tithing takes on new meaning because you realize, wait, I can help change lives because when I give to my local church, that church is empowered to do the work of God. And so I'm literally funding changing lives. 
And so you begin to become a tither, become to give a 10% of all that you have. And I know you think that's crazy, that's so much, how could I ever do that? Well, there's a lot of people around you doing it right now and they're doing just fine. In fact, they're probably doing better than you because God tends to bless people who bless his work. Amen. That's how that works. And why in the world does this church grow so much? Because the Bible says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It says that in Matthew 28, which means we are to do what? Bring people back to church with us. What is that? That's the system. That's the system of growth. That is basically Acts, the book of Acts, I just told you, in two minutes or less. And they did that repeatedly, and guess what? God blessed the church and they expanded all over the world, and that's why you and I are here today, because someone followed the simple system that God's lined up for us to grow in our faith, and so we just call it the you. It's a system. But don't complain to me about, well, this church doesn't do discipleship. You're not doing the system? Don't complain. Don't go to a gym and say it doesn't work if you just sit there and don't do anything. Right? If you come here, but you don't actually get involved in any things we say to do, then don't expect to grow spiritually. Because there's a system you have to follow to get the results that you want. And so just begin. Just start now and trust the process. You got to learn to trust the process. Two things I want to leave you with, two names actually I want to leave you with that Joseph named his kids. And I think it's interesting when you see something in scripture, when, when you see this, this litany of this um, story that God's telling, right, in the book of Genesis, and it seems to get kind of interrupted by something that doesn't make sense why it's there. That's why I like to park and say, why, why is that in the scripture? And so as I was reading this, it talks about, and Joseph saved money, and he began to, you know, totally re redo Egypt, and it, it transformed them, and they began to save all this, and all this grain, and they, you know, just all this, almost like business talk, it's just talk all the steps he does, and in the middle of that, he says, oh, and he's married, and he had two kids, and their names were Manasseh and Ephraim, and then and he keeps going, but it says, oh, and their Manasseh and Ephraim mean these things, and so it tells you their names, and keeps going, and if you're like me, you're like, so I'm reading the Harvard Business Review, and in the middle of the Harvard Business Review of how you build a business, it says the names of the authors and their kids' names. Why do I need to know that? There's something the author wants me to know as to why they stopped everything to tell me that. So what does Manasseh's name mean and what does Ephraim's name mean? Manasseh, Joseph's first son, his name means forget. You gotta forget your past. If you're gonna get a new system, you gotta quit being locked into what you did yesterday. You gotta forget that your brothers betrayed you and that your family was jacked up. You gotta let that go. You gotta forget about that. You gotta forget that your last boss you know, really messed you over. You gotta forget the fact that you were accused of something you didn't even do and thrown into prison. You gotta forget about all that. You gotta forget about the fact that you were forgotten about by the guy that you said, hey, remember me when you go to the king, and he didn't remember you, and you didn't get the promotion, you didn't get the raise, and you got passed up, and you feel like everyone is ignoring you. You gotta forget that all that hurt. You gotta lay all that aside, because if you don't forget, you can't move forward. And guess what Ephraim means? Ephraim, his second son, means fruitfulness. You gotta forget so you can be fruitful. If you'll forget the things of yesterday, you can be fruitful today. You gotta have, like a good quarterback does in the NFL, you gotta have professional amnesia. You gotta throw an interception, one down, and then the next time series of downs, you run right in the game and you throw the ball like it never happened. And if you can do that, you can score. If you can do that, you can win the big one. God has big plans for you. It's time to forget your past and become fruitful. Did you bow your heads with me? Every head bowed, every eye closed, and we take a moment to pray today. I believe God is speaking to someone today. I believe today's message, maybe it wasn't a rah-rah sermon, but I believe there's some power in this truth. I believe that. And if there's something that God has spoken to you about, if there's a system you need to put in place, it could be something as simple as me just going to the library every day, <laughs> as simple as that is, it worked. Maybe your system is to say, God, I just need to show up at your house more often. 
Maybe it's something more complicated than that. Maybe you need to go back to work and realize, I need to put a system in place. I need a series of routines so I can succeed at my job and make this a career. Maybe home is chaos, and it needs to become a little more systematic. Who does what? Divvy up the chores. Who's going to do what? We've got to do it with the right attitude. What is it you need to do to succeed in the areas you're failing in? What's the system you need? With your head bowed and your eyes closed, if God is speaking to you about making a big change, implementing something new, or maybe going back to something that you just quit doing because the why wasn't large enough, now you realize it's not about you, it's about others. If that's you today, if God is speaking to you about something very specifically to do today, would you lift your hand high up to God and say, God, I hear you speaking to me. Thank you for your word. I'm going to make a change. Thank you. There's hands going up all across all of our auditoriums right now, all of our campuses. Thank you for that. Thank you. Just obey the Lord this week. Just begin to implement something new. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you never trusted Christ as your Lord and your Savior, God knew we needed to be saved because our sin keeps us from him, keeps us from heaven. But God sent his own son, Jesus, to die on the cross for you and me. And then he died for our sin, and then he rose again from the grave. If you really want to get technical, we could even say he completed the Old Testament sacrificial system. He fulfilled it by dying for you and me. The price we deserve to pay for our sin, he paid instead. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, you can receive Christ as your Lord and your Savior right now by praying a very simple prayer. Would you pray this prayer with me? We're going to say it out loud together. You can say, Dear Jesus, I realize I need you. I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you paid for my sin. And I believe you rose again. I ask you to come into my heart. Be my Lord and be my Savior. I repent of my sins. I put you in first place. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. In your name we pray. Amen. Isn't God good? His word is so true.